Welcome to Ignite Visibility University Interview Edition, where we learn from the top marketers in the world what drives them, their mistakes, their wins, and secrets to success. This podcast is brought to you by Ignite Visibility, one of the top digital marketing agencies in the nation. All right, everybody, welcome to another Ignite Visibility University podcast. Today, I have David Merman Scott, who is a leading business business growth speaker for companies and uh, conferences worldwide. The thing about David is he has written a ton of amazing books. You may know him for The New Rules of Marketing and PR, which is an incredibly successful book. Also, he's written um, Newsjacking, Real-Time Marketing and PR, Marketing Lessons uh, from the Grateful Dead, Marketing the Moon, The New Rules of Sales and Service, Vanrocracy, and, and a couple other books as well. So really a well-known author. So super excited to have him on today. Um, also a speaker. Um, we've got a mutual connection of working, um, him speaking at Business Mastery with Tony Robbins, Tony being a client of ours for a long time. So David, really excited to have you on today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited that we share um, that link to Tony Robbins because he's an awesome guy. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a fan. Um, so when it, when it comes to you and, and you know, you've been in, in marketing and speaking and an author for, for a while now, and you've, you've built up this great career. What are you up to today? What, what does your current role look like and, and where are you spending your time? I'm really lucky that I've been able to craft a business that works brilliantly well for me in that I, I have zero employees. <laughs> and I had, been, um, I had been really thinking hard about this. I worked for companies for 15 years, and for the last 15 years, roughly, I've been uh, on my own. And I always said to myself, I don't want to have employees. And uh, I managed to continue to do that. So the things that I do, uh, as you mentioned, I write books. My 11th book is coming out. Out, uh, soon, uh, titled Fanocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. I wrote that with my uh, daughter, Reiko. She's 26. Um, and uh, so writing books, um, part of my business, I speak at events all over the world, including Tony Robbins Business Mastery. And uh, as we're um, having this conversation, my next engagement in uh, a week from now is in Cartagena, Colombia. So because my books are published in 29 languages, um, I actually um, have an opportunity to speak all over the world. Uh, and then I'm an advisor to companies, but I have a unique business model with my advisory work. I don't take cash. I actually take equity in the companies that I'm passionate about. Uh, and that has worked out really well. I've been on the, for example, the HubSpot advisory board since 2007 when they started um, and um, taking equity in HubSpot for the last 12 years has been a pretty lucrative decision since um, when I joined them. They had no customers, eight employees, and beta software, and now they're listed on the New York Stock Exchange with something like a $7 billion market cap. Uh, and then the final thing, I focus on is I have an online learning platform called New Marketing Mastery, which I sell at Tony Robbins Business Mastery as well as on my website. And so I've managed with that portfolio of stuff to be able to um, maintain a great lifestyle and not have to worry about employees. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, you definitely, uh, that's something I know a little bit about. We have, we have uh, yeah. 75 full-time employees here at Ignite and we're a very people intensive business. God bless love you. People, <laughs> love working with people, but it's, um, it's got its, uh, different set of challenges. That's for sure. So, um, so for you, like, Take it back a little bit for me. Like, how did you get your start? How did you get into this? How did you did you did you plot a path to become a an author of this many books and, and know with clarity that you were going to kind of kind of go in this specific direction? Like, when did that become clear to you, and how did you fall into it? So great. That's a great question. So I um, I started out in the bond markets on Wall Street. I worked for a company called Dean Witter. I hated it and I was terrible at it. But I really found that I loved the information side. Um, and I ended up working for companies like Dow Jones and Thomson Reuters um, around the idea of information that's used to make business decisions. And because that was prior to the web, so that was pre-1995 when I was doing that, uh, and I worked all over the world. I worked uh, for seven years in Tokyo, two years in Hong Kong. I worked in Australia and, and in Europe um, uh, for much shorter periods of time. Um, that gave me essentially an unfair advantage around the idea of, of online marketing because I was doing essentially online information on online marketing um, before there was a web. And then so when 1995 comes around, which is my line in the sand for the beginning of the Internet, I'm like, this is not new. I get this. This is um, electronic content, which I've been doing for a decade. And so I realized really, really early that the metaphor, uh, the correct metaphor for online marketing is not advertising, which is what everybody was talking about, but rather content. Uh, because that's what I knew, um, at, having worked for companies like Thomson Reuters and Dow Jones and so on. So I, um, uh, in 2002, started my own business in writing and researching in, about the future of marketing and recognized that um, uh, the content you create, put on your website, and then later on social media was what was going to make or break you. And um, so, so I was lucky that I had this, what I call an unfair advantage to understand what was going on in the world before other people did. And then fortunately I had some skills as a writer and developed skills as a speaker and have uh, managed to continue to see sort of what's coming next over the last, um, you know, almost 20 years around marketing. And what I see coming next is the power of true human connection. I like that. I like that. And I, I want to talk about that. And, and so, so I, I kind of got involved, um, geez, uh, you know, I started doing it a little bit in 2002, um, but really got super deep into marketing 2005, 2007. How mm. have you seen it evolve from when you got involved initially, you know, what was working then and, and what, what's kind of changed and, and what's working now? Like what's that evolution look like to you in your mind? So what I see is that when I first got in, well, I, I've been a marketer for almost 30 years. So um, in the beginning, when I first started to become a marketer, the only way you could get noticed to pay for 
access. In other words, paid. In other words, paid advertising. So the only way to get noticed really was to buy a magazine ad, television ad, newspaper um, ad, um, radio billboards, um, direct mail. Um, if you're in the in the B2B businesses, you had to buy a trade show booth and things like that. Um, what the rise of the web meant that you could create a great web presence and uh, in the form of a website initially, but then later on things like YouTube videos, and then even a little bit after that, um, the beginnings of social media. Um, the next big change, uh, and so that, oh, sorry, so that meant that people didn't have to spend as much money on advertising if they created a great online presence, um, which you know extremely well, of course. The, the next um, um, change that I saw, and I saw this change really early, uh, was the rise of real-time marketing. And there a couple of things that led that led to that. The first one, of course, some things like Twitter that allowed you to instantly communicate. Uh, and then as well, um, people don't really remember how powerful this change was, but when Google went to indexing in real time, that was fabulously important. Because prior to that, if you wrote a blog post, it would take a month or two to get indexed by Google. Then they made the change, and if you wrote a blog post, it was instantly um, uh, indexed by Google. Huge change in the marketplace. So real-time marketing became uh, incredibly popular, and I wrote a book on that topic. And then what I see now is we're going through yet another change, and I, be I believe that the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications because so many people are doing it and so many people are doing it badly and so many people are interrupting and being being obnoxious and um, people are crying about fake news and and robots you know even you don't even know if the person you're communicating with on Facebook is a robot or not so I believe that the pendulum is swinging back beginning to swing back to true human connection I like that. I love that concept, and I, I definitely agree with it. I, I want to take a step back just a little bit because you brought up a concept that I just absolutely love. So for for a couple for about four and a half years, I worked at a business magazine, and we went from publishing one article a week to one a day to ten a day. And, and one of the things we would do um, to get big spikes in traffic is is kind of look at the news, right? And we yeah. would find out you know what 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 was a big story and, and try to get involved. But one of the things um, I I've heard about your work is you're a big proponent of that and and you feel that that's something that can work really well for marketers and I feel like the ignite visibility listeners would love to just hear a little bit about more about how you approach sure. that oh yeah absolutely I call it newsjacking uh, newsjacking is the art and science of understanding how a news story breaks and then with that knowledge being able to create some piece of online content, it can be a blog post or a tweet with a hashtag or a YouTube video, whatever it is, that puts your expertise into the marketplace at the precise moment that it's needed. And that concept, which I called newsjacking, named it about a little less than 10 years ago, has become incredibly popular, again, because of the rise of the real-time web. It's, it was impossible to do newsjacking until the real-time web. Uh, and, um, and so there, if there's a news story that breaks and you have some expertise in that, you just create content instantly. You've got to do it quickly. Push it out there. 
And then um, it's entirely possible that the media will quote you in their stories or want to have you onto their television and radio programs um, because you are then seen as the expert in that particular story. Um, and and th this idea of newsjacking has actually be some, become so popular that it was named to the Oxford English Dictionary, and my name was attached to it, which is pretty darn cool. So to have, I actually have what I think is the trifecta. I have a Wikipedia entry. I have an IMDb um, Internet Movie Database listing, and I also have a word that I invented in the Oxford English <laughs> Dictionary. <laughs> what, a, what an honor. I want to go with uh, the word. That's great. Uh, that's a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you talk about newsjacking. I mean, a little – so say, like, something comes out. Like, what's – like, what would be your specific process? I mean, would I make a quote and do a press release and then email that to the news outlets? Like, is that a good way to go about that's it? That's sort of a – that's sort of a traditional way of doing it, but what uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's sort of the the front door. You're not going to get as far going through the front door as you are by banging out the window and jumping into it from the from the side. Um, and so um, let's let's take sort of and let's let's use a real example. So um, one of my incredibly weird hobbies is that. I live in Boston, uh, and I live 20 miles from the New Hampshire border. So I go to the pre U.S. presidential candidate events in New Hampshire, which are all in full swing right now because New Hampshire is the first primary state. So, so far this cycle, I've been to 22 candidate events, believe it or not. Um, I've, I've actually personally asked questions of 16 presidential candidates, including the top 10 Democratic candidates. Um, and it is an incredibly weird hobby. So as a result, I've actually got a unique insight into, um, into um, the, the mechanism of the presidential election because I, I have this personal insight into it. And I write about it a lot on my blog in a nonpartisan way. I don't write about politics. I write about marketing. So I write about the marketing aspects of the U.S. presidential election. And so um, I've been, you know, this, this cycle, the 2020 cycle, um, I've written about um, a Donald Trump rally I went to. I've, I've, um, I've written about Elizabeth Warren and, and, and a bunch of other candidates from the marketing perspective. Um, and I've done that now for four cycles. So the last cycle, um, uh, you, you may recall that everybody expected Hillary Clinton to win. Uh, everyone ex everyone basically assumed, based on polling data and, and gut feel, that there's no way that Donald Trump was going to win. But I actually, because I had been analyzing their marketing, recognized that Donald Trump is a master newsjacker. Donald Trump is probably the world's best newsjacker because when something is going on in the news, what does he do? He tweets so that instantly all of the journalists around the world know Donald Trump's take on that news. That's what newsjacking is. And I wrote about that for a number of months, actually 18, 19, 18 months prior to the election. I was already talking about Donald Trump as being the best marketer of the presidential candidates. And um, so when Trump won on election, on election night, everyone was like, oh, my God, what happened? So I wrote a blog post. It, went, it came out at 4 o'clock in the morning. The title of the blog post was The Best Marketer Was Elected President. 
And that blog post got so much attention. And I was quoted in in dozens and dozens of news stories that came out over the next 24 hours because reporters and editors were looking for somebody who had an expertise um, to be able to explain what happened in this election and why didn't anybody uh, understand that Trump might have a chance to win. And I said, he was the best marketer. He, he was a newsjacker. He understood um, the people he was trying to reach and came up with a way better, way more memorable slogan in Make America Great Again than Clinton did, which, by the way, no one ever remembers her slogan. Quick, what is it? <laughs> Do you know, yeah. John? Oh, I can't remember. Right. It's, it was stronger together, but nobody remembers that. So, uh, he, so Trump was a better marketer. And so my newsjacking was to put that story out on my blog at exactly the moment that, that everybody on the planet needed to have that information. And I had the credibility as somebody that they could quote because I write about marketing. But anybody can do that. Anybody can do that in their area of expertise. You just look for a news story, and then when and it may there may be a news story, you know, once a week, once a month, or maybe you got to wait a couple of months for the right story to come around. But it will come around, no matter what business you're in, and you have an opportunity uh, to comment on it, and perhaps get noticed, and perhaps even generate a ton of business as a result. Excellent. Excellent advice. Um, Ignite Visibility University listeners, that's some some great, uh, you know advice for you. So, you know, keeping an eye on the news in your space, you know, executing in a way that, you know, David just mentioned. Uh, It's kind of funny. I I will occasionally uh, get involved in stuff like that. Somebody the other day wanted, I I had written an article on uh, on TikTok and they wanted me to be right. Fortune magazine for TikTok. Honestly, I didn't really, I don't really know much about it, so that was a funny situation. But anyway, so let's shift gears a little bit. And that, and that happens, and that okay. happens too, right? That happens yeah. too. You don't <laughs> even need to be, you don't even, and it doesn't need to be a massive global story. I'll give you one real quick, one yeah. more really quick example. So, oh sure, yeah. Um, uh, Joe Payne um, was the CEO of a company uh, called Eloqua, and Joe. Um, um, got a text from one of his friends and said, hey, I just heard that your biggest competitor, a company called Market to Lead, was being acquired by Oracle. Is it true? And Joe didn't hear that. Um, so it was, had to be really new information. So he went to Google, typed in Oracle and Market to Lead. And sure enough, there was a, um, a cryptic three-sentence announcement on the Oracle website that they had made an acquisition of this company, Market to Lead. So Joe wrote an instant blog post. It took him about two hours to write this blog post. And he, he didn't say anything bad about the competition that was acquired by Oracle, but he just provided some data and facts about uh, the industry and um, a, so- a software business. And um, and then they ended up he ended up getting quoted in dozens and dozens of stories because um, the journalists wanted to write about what this acquisition means for the marketplace. And the only things they had to go on were Joe's amazing blog post and three sentences from Oracle. And as a result, <laughs> and as a result of that, he generated a million a million dollars in new business. And then he got on the radar of Oracle from doing that. And Oracle actually acquired him 
uh, 18, uh, sorry, about a year later for $650 million. And I did the math on the uh, acquisition numbers, and it turns out that was a $15 million extra value on their valuation just by having that million dollars extra new revenue from that newsjacking. So that one newsjacking generated $16 million for Joe Payne. And two hours work, $16 million in, in, um, uh, in one newsjacking. Wow, the, the the power of content, the power of a blog post, um, and the, and it's a, and what's really important, it's the power of real time, because you've got to do that instantly. If he had waited a day, no way, nothing, nothing would have happened. No one would have cared because the story would have already been old. I think that's the toughest part, you know, with with this strategy, you really need to jump right on it. And with blogging in particular, a lot of times people are struggling. Should I write evergreen content? You know, should I answer questions? Should I make something kind of clickbaity? You know, what's what's the ratio with with something like that or a newsjacking thing? But the way I look at it, and, and let me know if this is how you look at it too. Like, if you see that story and you know it's big enough in your industry, just drop everything and do it because oh that's exactly right i mean that return is amazing that changed his life you know oh yeah so. oh yeah yeah yeah. And, and that's exactly right is that um sure do all those other things you know you know write the educational blog post answer questions all great all good don't do, don't stop doing any of that but when that blog post comes or sorry when that news story comes that that you have an expertise around that you're able to comment on that you know confidently in your heart you are probably the one of the top 10 people on the planet to address that topic then you have to stop what you're doing if you're in a meeting you've got to cancel the rest of the meeting if you're on vacation you have to you tell your family that you need two hours uh, it, it might be on a Sunday night it might be on Thanksgiving Day it might be when the boss is away uh, it might be if you're the boss when your people are away but you've got to get it done right away I like it yeah but because the return could be that great so so, so the next thing that you talked about was authenticity, and um, I, I, it, like, I, I didn't really expect you to say that. Like, we didn't have a conversation before this podcast about that, but I love it because I just feel like there's so much. Um, especially in the marketing realm, you know, people out there who are, you know, join, join my webinar and make a million dollars and, and selling, you know, false dreams and, and, um, you know, kind of clickbaity things online and fake news and just so much noise. And it's like, what's real anymore? Fake reviews are everywhere now. I mean, I, I read a stat said something, it was over 50% of reviews are fake on, on, on Amazon and, and other websites as well. So authenticity on the web, it's, it's minimal. Talk to me about that a little bit and why you're excited about it and, and what people can do with it. So I think um, that authenticity is a subset of this concept that I've been obsessed about for the last five years, and, and that is um, a true human connection that, that you can develop around fan, that fandom. And I call it a fanocracy. Um, uh, it's, it's the title of this new book I did called Fanocracy. I did it with my 26-year-old daughter. And the way it came about is I was um, talking with her about how I'm such a geek about things. I'm like, I, I said to her, Reiko, um, it, isn't it crazy that I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts? I mean, that's ridiculous. And, the fa and, and that I've been to 790 rock concerts in total. 
and I, I'm such a geek, I even keep a spreadsheet. And she said, well, that's nothing because I'm such a geek about Harry Potter. I wrote a 90,000-word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy <laughs> is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix, and I put it on a fan fiction site, and it's gotten thousands of downloads and hundreds of comments. And so, But then we recognize that everyone has these obsessions. Everyone becomes fans of something. And people become fans of companies, uh, even of B2B companies. You know, you think... You look at people, they're wearing T-shirts of with logos of obscure technology companies, or they put stickers on their computer, or even get tattoos. And so we dug into this idea of fandom, and it turns out that if at the in the broadest sense, the word you mentioned, authenticity, comes up a lot, um, uh, and the idea of true human connection is the is the in- essential ingredient. So I think what's happening is that. And we just spoke about it briefly a moment ago, this superficial online communications where people don't trust one another online anymore like they did in the beginning. And there's so much room to game the system and there's so many opportunities to um, to just take advantage of people or or deploy robots instead of people that we're looking for getting back to where we were maybe a hundred years ago where we went to the village baker and we knew who that person was. So we tend to become fans of those companies that we trust. And so I think that there's an incredibly powerful opportunity for everyone listening in on this um, to maybe rethink how you deal with your um, uh, your customers, your employees, your partners, and the more you can um, develop a, a true humanity with them. And I think that's where we're going. I think that's I think our political, and I know there's probably people listening in from outside the U.S., but also recognizing that they probably know what's going on in our political world as well. The political world is so polarizing, and part of that is because we've lost sight of the humanity. So I think that 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 we're ripe to come back to this idea of just treating people better, and that will be a a very, very powerful tool of um, of developing business and growing business and becoming the go-to company that people um, can trust. Um, and my daughter and I co-wrote this, and Tony Robbins actually wrote the forward to the book. Um, he was very kind to do that. And we, we researched for five years. We talked with people about why they're fans of something. My, uh, my daughter is a neuroscientist. So we look at the neuroscience aspects of it. Um, and then we talked with companies that have grown fans and came up with a prescription, 10 different points about what companies can do to develop fans of their businesses. I really like that. And I, I just a couple comments. So I, I, when I first got started in digital <clears throat> and, and, and for a very long time, I always liked the idea of kind of hacks, right? If I do this hack, if I do this trick, if I do, if I, if I tweak this a certain way, I'm going to be able to get more people to sign up for something. And, and frankly, yep. I had a ton of success with that. And a lot of people yep. still like stuff like that. Funnels, tripwires, you know, to the webinar, to the, the, you know, the long sale, to the, the, 
$100,000, you know, recurring revenue or whatever. But, but I, I, I think that um, the more that my personal business has gotten bigger and the more I've dealt with bigger and bigger businesses, I, I just love this idea of being authentic, not trying to be tricky, being real, putting it out there, creating a good marketing framework. Uh, it's not a good idea to try to trick people into something. Instead, I, I love this authenticity. And, I, and, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day. You, you talk about fans. Fans, right and, and fandom I think is a term that you use he loves watching stuff on YouTube and it's just really goofy about how to make uh, like wooden sailboats and sailboat right, type right. of things and he's well, that's, so fandom. that's fandom that's, <laughs> fan, that's fandom at work and he's a really good friend. And I said, Hey man, you, you really watch this stuff. He's like, yeah, he's just, I, it really interests me. I love sailing, you know? And for me, I've, I'm kind of quirky in that I love watching skateboarding and surfing. You know, I kind of grew up in Southern California. I still watch, you know, the, the world skateboarding competitions and stuff like that. So, so building that authenticity and doing it in, you know, a responsible way. So, so tell me, is that what the book's about and what other lessons are in the book that would be really helpful for our listeners to know? Um, so yes, you've you've nailed exactly what the the overall concept of the book is. Is um, why does your friend dig into wooden sailboats? Um, how can a company tap that kind of fandom? How can a company make him uh, and other become a fan of theirs? And and that and that's exactly what it's about. Um, and um, that was actually a cool example you'd like in the book about grain surfboards. I'm a surfer as well. Uh, I love it. I'm not very good, but I absolutely love it. I, was, I took a week surfing last week, as a matter of fact. Um, and grain surfboard, grain surfboards does wooden surfboards. And um, they're in York, Maine. And they have a really cool program where you can actually go to their factory and make a wooden surfboard together with the artisans who work there. And I've done it twice. <laughs> Four days twice to make wooden surfboards. And now I'm a massive fan of grain surfboards. Actually looking at one of my surfboards as we're, as we're talking right now. Um, so let me give you a, a really cool and interesting practical application of the neuroscience of fandom and I'm going to weave it in to uh, the idea of online marketing. You ready? So here's, here's how it works. There's a guy called Eldon T. Hall and he, uh, he invented a concept um, about 65 years ago of the power of proximity. And it turns out that we humans, it's hardwired in us to track other humans that get close to us. And there's four levels of proximity of people one to another. Um, what's called public space, which is sort of further than about 20 feet, um, where we humans don't really pay too much attention to people that are that far away from us. Then you've got personal space, uh, sorry, then you've got social space, which is the space from, from closer into from 20 feet to about four feet. So that's like when you walk into a room and you scan the room really quickly, you recognize uh, if there are other people in the room and do you know them. You can't help the fact that you do that. That is hardwired in we humans to do that. The next level of space is called personal space, and that's a foot and a half to four feet. That's cocktail party distance. 
uh, and then um, we won't use this for marketing purposes, but intimate space is closer than a foot and a half. That's reserved for uh, family members and, um, and, and very, very close friends. Uh, so this idea of proximity, if you understand it, is that the closer you get to somebody, the more powerful the human emotions. So what that means is that if you trust someone and they're your friend and you're close to them, that's a really powerful human emotion. If you don't trust someone or you're scared of them, that's a very powerful human emotion. That's why when you get into an elevator with people you don't know, you're nervous. You can't help it. That's a human reaction that's hardwired in our brains. So what that means for building fans is the more you can get into the social and personal space of your customers, the more likely you are to build strong and powerful human connections with them, um, which is incredibly powerful for them to want to do business with you into the future. However, for many businesses, um, you can't possibly get into the personal and social space physically of people, you can in a virtual way using something called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the neurons that fire in our brain that, um, that your brain actually fires in a way when you see something much like it does when you're actually physically experiencing it. So let me explain what I mean by that. So if you, see so if you do something, your brain fires. But if you see someone do the same thing, your brain fires too. If I am now going to take a bite of a lemon, oh my gosh, I can feel it. It's so tart. It makes my eyes scrunch up. My mouth is starting to water. I'm feeling my face pucker up and it tastes really good. And I would bet even just that little description, you might have felt the same thing. That's through the power of mirror neurons. And it turns out that if you do a, a YouTube video where you are in the virtual personal space or social space of your customers, or if you do um, images on Instagram where you are there and, and and your and your people, your employees, or your customers are there, and in a in a cropped in a way that you f make people feel as if they're in your personal and social space. That's incredibly powerful. That's one reason, perhaps, why your friend experiences that boat building, those boat building videos, in a strong way when it's being shown by somebody as if they're showing it to you as a friend and you feel as if they're showing it to you personally in your personal space or social space and your brain is firing as if you know that person. So that's a really powerful way that you can use online marketing. And many people say, oh yeah, video is really popular and oh yeah, you know, Instagram is growing. There's a scientific neuroscience reason for that. And when you know it, I just explained it, it's real simple stuff. You can actually use that to build a much stronger human connection to your customers rather than doing that clickbait crap. 
I love it. And I, I agree a hundred percent. And one of the things I just listening to you talk, I think about it kind of practically on the company size level, really. One, one of the things I see is a lot of the, the smaller companies, um, you know, they're very open to stuff like this. They're a little bit more loose. The more I uh, work with bigger and bigger clients, like tomorrow I'm visiting a client, they're on the stock exchange. It's a billion dollar company. They get a little bit more rigid with the content creation and not in a bad way. It absolutely makes sense. They should be. I wonder if you have any advice for the larger company, um, you know, kind of determining that piece of content, um, letting the guard down. Have you ever dealt with anything like that? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, oh, I absolutely have many, many times. Um, uh, yeah, that one of the problems is that the bigger companies get, the more um, unfortunately, the legal side tends to get involved on one hand, um, or they're so far removed from the actual customers that they're not really communicating in a, in a human way anymore. Um, so, so that tends to happen. The other thing that tends to happen, um, and it seems like it's more so with big companies, but it, it's a plague of any kind of company, is that they put so much of their content behind gates. So, you know, one gate is just, we're not going to tell you anything unless you become a customer and then we'll let you know those, those things. Um, that's kind of going away, but there's still, that's still out there. Um, pricing being murky and transparent is another form of a gate, especially for B2B companies. Another form of a gate is companies that create interesting information and then insist that the only way you can get that information is if you give an email address and register for it first. And that's another form of a gate. And, you know, we marketers, we digital marketers, you know, we believe, many of us, and I don't, but many marketers believe that you have to do that, that that's the only way to generate um, business is to get a lead and then um, create a, um, a, a funnel to get that lead to the point where they're going to close. I violently disagree with that. If you think about it from the perspective of being human, and the and if you think about it as from being human, you can be much more successful by giving a gift and expecting absolutely nothing in return. So what I mean here, pra practically speaking, what I mean by that is if you have a white paper or an ebook that you want to deliver to the marketplace, don't set up an adversarial relationship with people you don't even know by demanding their personal information to download your stuff. Instead, make it completely free, give it as a gift with nothing expected in return. Uh, you know, the difference would be, um, you know, I've been happily married for a long time, but in the dating market, you know, you go to a bar and the first thing you say to someone before you, you agree to talk to them is that you want to have their business card so you can figure out who they are. I mean, that's just not the way it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's just one practical um, manifestation of that concept, but um, but I think that's one reason why big companies get tripped up is because there's too many layers between them and the customer, and they do you know they do these sorts of things like 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 tying up all of their content in such a way that people can't actually get to it. 
Well, I got to say, I really connect with you over a lot of these concepts. And, and really, I would say more as I've become more of a mature marketer, I always wanted the email capture. I always want, you know, lately, um, I made this uh, movie a couple, I made two movies, one a couple years ago is SEO, the movie, another one, social media marketing, the movie, we just gave them away for free and, um, and just put it out there online. And, and the response was, was really great. And I'm glad that I didn't try to trick somebody into giving me an email for it. Um, um, so, David, um, really great stuff today. Um, Ignite Visibility listeners, I'm sure you got a ton of value out of this. Um, you know, so kind of wrapping up today, I always like to ask, what are you most excited about in your life right now? Anything really big going on that um, – and, and also in addition to that, where can people find out more about you um, online? So what's really been well, – sorry, I talk, talked about this very briefly, but what's been really fascinating for me is – over five years, um, creating a book with my daughter. So she's 26 now. She was 21 when we started our research. And, um, you know, you live with, you know, this little tiny baby who then becomes a student. And, you know, you sort of don't really treat them like a human until they get to be a certain age. And then, you know, then they go off to college. And But it's been amazing for me to have an opportunity to write Fanocracy with uh, with my daughter. And now we're in the mode where we're out there talking about it together. We've done some uh, interviews together. We've created some videos together. She's actually even on the stage with me at HubSpot's Inbound Conference. Um, uh, and so that's been uh, incredibly um uh, moving actually as a father to be able to work with my daughter that way. Um, I'd love to have people connect uh, on Twitter and the other socials. I'm DM Scott. That's D M S C O T T. Um, there's a, 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 a website for the new book, which is fanocracy.com. And um, um, I really appreciate John, you having me on. Absolutely. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time today. Awesome connecting with you, and uh, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thanks. You too.